Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. We're here today with Max Blumenthal. He is the senior editor of The Gray Zone, author of many books, including his latest, The Management of Savagery. Welcome, Max. We're talking today about many topics. Let's start with Venezuela. You just had an exchange on a program called The Heat, which airs on CGTN, which to me really captured the mentality at the heart of the U.S. war right now on Venezuela, because you spoke to, in this exchange, spoke to both a former Obama official and then also a member of the right-wing Venezuelan opposition. Before we go to the clip, why don't you set it up for us? Well, it was a remarkable opportunity and one that I wouldn't have had in you know, U.S. corporate media where no critics of the U.S. regime change policy towards Venezuela are allowed on air. Um, so, you know, you know, you have to go to state TV, uh, to actually have a real debate. And I got to be in the room with one top level former NSC official who was involved in crafting Obama's policy towards Venezuela and the former mayor of the Chacao district of Caracas, uh, Ramon Muchacho, who was mayor basically during the most violent guarimbas, the most violent riots against the government and presided over some of the most horrific uh, crimes against Chavistas, against supporters of the government in that district. He basically uh, whipped up the guarimbas that saw the burning to death of Orlando Figuera, a black man who was identified as a Chavista and then had gasoline spilled on him and was burned to death. And so, you know, I wasn't going to waste the opportunity, although I had very little time to not question um, the people I was in the room with about how they could justify a policy towards Venezuela that was quite clearly harming average civilians, masses of civilians. Uh, We're now two weeks out from uh, the Trump administration announcing a total embargo on Venezuela, but this wouldn't have been possible without the 2015 decision by the Obama administration uh, to label Venezuela a national security threat. And I think it's patently ridiculous to any sentient being that Venezuela posed no threat to US national security. So it was my intention coming in to just politely ask uh, pa- Paula Garcia Tufro, who has is cooling her heels at the Atlantic Council, which is NATO's unofficial think tank in Washington, funded by Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Bahrain, and the arms industry, as well as many oil companies seeking to get back into Venezuela, to ask her how they how she could justify labeling Venezuela as a national security threat. And I think the response, which was a total lack of response, just no substance, was really telling. So let's go to that. And so we'll see Max ask Paula Garcia Tufro of the Atlantic Council, formerly of the Obama administration. And then we see uh, a member of the Venezuelan opposition, uh, Ramon Muchacho. He weighs in as well. This is from CGTN America's The Heat. There's so many things that happen below the radar that we don't notice. 300,000 doses of insulin were not able to get into Venezuela in 2017, the year of the violent guarimbas. Uh, which were setting the streets on fire because Citibank uh, refused to, uh, they boycotted its purchase. This is the result of the Obama administration's designation of Venezuela as a national security threat in 2015. 
I want to ask Paula, because you were in the Obama administration, in what way was a Ven Venezuela a threat to U.S. national security? How does Venezuela threaten my security or the security of, of American citizens? Or was this not a tool to bring us to the crisis that we're in uh, to ratchet up Venezuela's economic crisis and harm ordinary civilians? So just if, if I may, uh, go ahead and, and directly uh, respond to that. So uh, again, I would say from the Obama administration standpoint, the policy was very much one of support for the democratic movement in Venezuela. Which, um, which one would that be? intended to be. The one that staged a military coup? The, the, Venezuela. Max, the movement please, that staged Max, a military coup. let her coup. finish first, Leah. Okay. You ask her a specific question, she's trying to answer. So I would just say, again, the policy was very much of support for democracy, su support for democratic movement in Venezuela. It is never one to go after the Venezuelan people. I don't believe, certainly I know to be the case under the Obama administration, and I don't believe it to be the case today. How was Venezuela a national security threat to the United States? That was the specific well, yeah. language of this designation. Yeah. In I, what I, way? I, 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 think, um, me, I, I think there are many reasons to consider Venezuela and Maduro a threat to the U.S. population mm -hmm. right here, right now, including drugs, including terrorism, support to terrorist groups, including Al-Qaeda, Colombian guerrilla being in Venezuela, uh, 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 the, the mass migrations of Venezuelans destabilizing the economy and the governments of Colombia, Brazil, Peru, Bolivia, and how, other How are they connected the to Al-Qaeda? Sorry, how are they connected to Al-Qaeda? You well, well, connected them to Al-Qaeda. It was yeah. the Obama administration that provided point, weapons to Al-Qaeda in Syria. The, we know that. But how is Maduro the, the, connected to Al-Qaeda? This is ridiculous. The, the, All right, so that was a clip from CGTN America. Mac, let's take that piece by piece. Start with this non-response you got from Paula Garcia Tufro from the Obama administration asking her what national security threat Venezuela posed to the U.S. She didn't answer your question. Yeah, because there's no answer to it. There's simply no way of justifying it except that this was a John Bolton-like, uh, you know, George W. Bush-like justification for regime change that wasn't questioned by Congress or anyone, any one of any significance in the U.S. press that I remember at the time. And what it did was it set the stage for an economic boycott of Venezuela by international financial institutions. I mentioned uh, in the lead up to my question that um, Citigroup had boycotted the purchase of 300,000 uh, doses of insulin by the Venezuelan government. You saw as a result of this designation, um, you know, any, uh, you know, bank or uh, any, you know, international financial ratings group like Standard & Poor's declaring, or JP Morgan declaring that Venezuela was high risk. And so this exacerbated the inflationary crisis and made it very difficult uh, for Venezuela to obtain the credit to refinance its assets. Um, you know, it made it very difficult for it to obtain assets. And 70% uh, of Venezuela's food still comes from um, imports. And so if you don't have assets, you're unable to, um, you know, you're unable to export your oil, which is your main, the main source of your assets, then you basically can't buy food. And so it exacerbated the migration crisis as well. So you have someone sitting right next to me who is essentially involved in a titanic administrative crime where, you know, she and her colleagues in the, in the Obama White House were signing away lives with the stroke of a pen um, and you've mentioned before, Aaron, that this report by Mark Weisbrot, 
um, who's one of the premier experts in this country on Venezuela, and Jeffrey Sachs, um, one of the world's leading economists for the Center for Economic and Policy Research, which found that between the um, between 20, I think 2017 and 2018, there were 40,000 excess deaths as a result of U.S. sanctions in Venezuela. So, you know, the Trump administration's obviously ramped it up, but this all really began, the, the economic attack really began with that designation, which she can't explain. She just has no way of doing it. So she kind of hands off the ball to Ramon Muchacho, who is just an absolute fanatic living in Miami right now. And he says, well, the real threat was that, uh, Nicolas Maduro is working with Al Qaeda. And so I said, you know, actually, we were the ones working with Al Qaeda. You have members of Al Qaeda's local affiliate in Idlib in Syria right now showing up in the field with uh, BGM tow missiles produced down the street from me by Raytheon, uh, which the US supplied to the so called moderate rebels. But I don't know about Nicolas Maduro working with Al Qaeda. We also hear about him working with Hezbollah. We hear about, you know, him working with drug lords and they pretty much pile on every accusation, but this was the most ridiculous one. And it's significant. I mean, you could all dismiss it as just, you know, a right wing fanatic in Miami just popping off uh, with, you know, random allegations. But it's significant because Muchacho is really emblematic of the right wing opposition that the U.S. has attempted to install uh, behind Juan Guaido. And these are the people that Michelle Bachelet, who is the UN Human Rights Commission, depended on substantially for her report, which helped lay the groundwork for Trump's embargo, um, basically by accusing Maduro of running um, extermination squads, of using a food distribution program as a spying program, um, and completely ignoring the testimony of all of the victims of right-wing terror in Venezuela, who actually met with Bachelet when she was there. Um, and in an investigation <clears throat> by the Venezuelan government's own Human Rights Commission found that 82% of the testimonies supplied to Bachelet came from outside Venezuela, from people like Ramon Muchacho, who are exiled members of the right-wing opposition. So, you know, you hear these wild allegations and they sound ridiculous to us, but they're taken seriously by the team that was working behind the scenes on Bachelet's report, who were largely American uh, bureaucra bureaucrats who'd kind of burrowed from within the UN. So I think it's a really significant e exchange. And it's also significant about our media environment that exchanges like this never take place. You know, if you, were, you or I, if you were allowed on, for example, Chris Hayes to interrogate the lies, deceptions, and distortions of, of half-truths of the Russia Gators, uh, catastrophe would ensue. And, you know, it's the same thing, I think, with Venezuela. Um, there is a certain fear about allowing us to challenge the people who make the sausage in Washington. In this case, you know, I was sitting next to someone who I think is involved in a vast crime, um, an administrative crime, but a crime nonetheless that has cost lives. And after the broadcast, um, Tufro was really upset. Um, and she started uh, wagging her finger at me and telling me that I lied, sanctions don't affect ordinary people. And I said, really, well, wh wh where's the lie? And she said, well, they only target the um, oil and, and, and gold of Venezuela. And I said, yeah, they've stolen $1.3 billion in gold assets through the Bank of England. Um, Citgo, the state oil company's uh, US wing, has been basically put in, entrusted 
to Juan Guaido's fake government in the US and we don't know where that money's going. That's something like $7 billion in assets. When you deny the government these assets, as I said before, it cannot buy food or medicine and it exacerbates an economic crisis and you know, deliberately is attempting to turn that economic crisis into a humanitarian crisis. I tried to point this out to her as we were walking down the hall. She was ignoring me. And then I attempted to share an anecdote from my recent trip to Venezuela that, you know, resulted in her walking towards the elevator and not, you know, really shutting me down. Um, and it was, it took place during a visit to the um, women's run cooperative of San Agustin, which is a neighborhood high in the hills above Caracas. You know, if you go to Caracas and you look at the hillsides, these are the areas that were completely ignored before the Bolivarian Revolution, when Chavez came to power, when, it was, when he was elected in 1998. Um, in fact, maps of Caracas didn't even show these areas. San Agustin was one of them, and it was a very hard area to reach because it's just such on such a sharp, sloping hillside that people who lived there often wouldn't come down to the downtown commercial areas because it was so difficult to get home. They'd have to walk an hour or two up a hillside especially people who have um, disabilities or who are older, they got stuck in their homes. And what Chavez did was he built a cable car um, through the Caracas metro system with five stops going up that hillside. So I and other um, you know, visitors I was with, we went up with this women's run collective. Um, it's a food collective to provide food to people in that area who are hard hit by sanctions and by the economic crisis. Um, and we took those cable cars and we reached our destination in 10 minutes. We reached a community center where um, when we arrived, 40 youth from San Augustine were practicing classical music and they performed classical music for us. But what was really remarkable was that there were two stops that we couldn't reach on that cable car because the cable itself comes from Germany. Um, it was built by a German company and you know Germany is participating in the sanctions regime against Venezuela and so the cable cannot be replaced. So people have to walk those extra two stops. Um, and this is you know, just one small snapshot of how the economic attack is affecting the most vulnerable people in Venezuela. And, you know, again, I tried to tell the Atlantic Council fellow and former top level Obama NSC official about this experience, and she was not interested in hearing it. And it's interesting to hear them try to rationalize these sanctions. Again, we're not talking about the Trump administration here. We're talking about the Obama circle. They'll claim that these are targeted sanctions only impacting a few top officials. We heard the same kind of uh, talk in the 1990s when the Clinton administration was uh, suffocating Iraq and killing you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people because of their sanctions, that this is only meant for people at the top. But of course, in real life, the impact of these sanctions is always to hurt the people. And it's striking to hear her inability to respond to you when you ask her for to justify the premise for those sanctions, this idea that Venezuela 
was a national security threat. And it's interesting to hear even today, people like Ben Rhodes openly saying that they still support sanctions on Venezuela. Let's go to a clip of him speaking on Pod Save America, the podcast, earlier this year. Again, I want him gone. Like, we should all be very clear. Like, this would be good. I do think there's a, a different way to go about yeah. this, which is to be tightening the noose, to be tightening sanctions, but to be very intensively trying to negotiate with the different factions inside of Venezuela, frankly, talking to the Chinese and other countries about um, how to create some soft landing to a transitional government that can then hold an election. Yeah, I would, I would love for Ben Rhodes uh, to explain how Venezuela was a national security threat and how they justified this. Um, but he's also come out and criticized uh, the Trump administration reimposing sanctions on Cuba. So there, there is a cognitive dissonance there. Why is it okay to normalize with Cuba as the Obama administration did while ramping up the economic attack on Venezuela? It's obvious that there's a geopolitical agenda behind this and a deep cynicism, the same cynicism embodied by Madeleine Albright uh, when she declared that it the deaths of 500,000 children in Iraq due to U.S. sanctions was worth it. We have heard that a half a million children have died. I mean, that's more children than died when, when, in, in Hiroshima. And, and, you know, is the price worth it? I think this is a very hard choice, but the price, we think the price is worth it. You know, I've seen, you know, pretty fair criticism of the Lancet study that alleged that 500,000 children died. Um, it doesn't matter because she said that even if 500,000 children died, that would still be worth it. And for these sociopaths, whether they're, you know, former create, you know, young, um, you know, tw Twitter, uh, Twitter centric, uh, former creative writing majors like Ben Rhodes or their, you know, Braz big new Brzezinski disciples like Madeleine Albright, uh, there is a, a, just a sociopathic mentality that the cost is always worth it to achieve a geopolitical goal, which is to break down independent countries and Venezuela is the key target in the Western Hemisphere, not only because it has the world's largest oil reserves, um, it has vast gold reserves, um, aluminum, rare earth minerals, um, but because it was able to project influence throughout the region and to begin to gradually decolonize the continent. What we're, what we're looking at right now, um, and actually at the um, Sao Paulo forum where Nicolas Maduro spoke beside uh, the Cuban president, Miguel Diaz-Canel, um, is the fourth stage, or is, is, is sort of the third stage of the, um, of, of, uh, of modern Latin American history. The first stage was the, um, you know, beginning the, the, you know, the, the, the beginning of the armed struggle through the Cuban revolution, leading all the way through the Sandinista revolution in the 1980s and culminating with the 1998 electoral victory of Hugo Chavez. Um, the second stage, according to Maduro and, you know, pretty much everyone I talked to who is part of this progressive wave was what's known as the pink tide through Latin America, the integration of the hemisphere um, from uh, Honduras through Nicaragua, down to uh, Ecuador through Rafael Correa, through Lula da Silva in Brazil, all the way down to Paraguay, Chile, um, although it was the most centrist member, Argentina. 
And Venezuela was really at the center of it through the ALBA program. It was the economic engine and it expanded into the Caribbean. So all of these small Caribbean countries, which are still defending Venezuela at the Organization for American States, were participating in ALBA. And if you talk to anyone, whether they're from St. Kitts and Nevis or Honduras, at that time, you know, 2006 through 2008 was a golden age economically and people were doing better than they ever have before. Um, you know, we got to travel to Honduras. Our colleague Anya Parampil interviewed Manuel Zelaya, the ousted president who was removed in a coup under the watch and under orders from the Obama administration and Hillary Clinton's State Department. And this was the beginning of the third phase, which was the imperial counterattack against a progressive tide. Um, and now we're, we're kind of witnessing the sort of final battle, the ultimate battle. Um, and I think this puts Venezuela on the front lines of uh, of the of the the battle against the against empire, um, and so many forces, as in Syria, are converging there. China and Russia, um, even Turkey, countries that are committed to building a multipolar world, are converging there and trying to prevent this country from falling. It really is a war for national survival. And the, another way of looking at it is to look at the fake government of Juan Guaido, um, whether it's um, Calderon. Juan Guaido Berti. being the, the Venezuelan yeah. opposition figure who's declared himself president of Venezuela, recognized by the U.S. Right. Guaido, you know, he's kind of a nobody. He got 70,000. He was elected with 70,000 votes in the third or second least populous state of Venezuela. But behind him are basically is basically a white collar mafia. You've got Carlos Vecchio, who's the fake ambassador here in DC. And Vecchio was the former lawyer for ExxonMobil, which was kicked out of Venezuela when Hugo Chavez nationalized the oil. You've got Calderon Berti, who's the fake ambassador of Venezuela in Colombia um, from, uh, uh, I think, Vest Vestra Energy, which is a major energy firm that's seeking to get its tentacles back into Venezuela. Then you have Jose Ignacio Hernandez, who is the prosecutor of the fake Venezuelan government, um, who has has been prosecuting this case to seek to to seek to to basically punish Venezuela's act, actual government for expropriating a Canadian mining company called Crystalex, and Hernandez himself turns out to have been a longtime paid expert witness for Crystal X, which is just a complete conflict of interest. But the point is, they all, each of them, or Ricardo Hausman, who helped craft the coup and is at the Inter-American Development Bank in Washington overseeing a lot of the economic policies attacking Venezuela. You know, he's, the, he's a former director of the IMF or a former board member at the IMF. So everyone represents a different international financial institution that's, that wants to get its tentacles back into Venezuela. And so, you know, you have at the street level this experience with right-wing terror for, through the Guarimbas, and then you have a fake government that essentially just represents um, the corporate world. And the way that the actual elected government of Venezuela sees this is a, as a war for its own sovereignty, a war for national survival against international financial institutions and an exterminationist right that would actually kill them in the streets if they were left defenseless. Mm -hmm.